You don't need to go work for a, a charity. There are tons and tons of businesses out there that are going to require, you know, the gumption that, that we all have and the skills that we have to offer and the passion we have to offer to make their business strategies more sustainable and better, better for people. Um, and so I think that's also really exciting. That was Christina Lucas, Project Manager for the Sustainability and Legacy Team for the Los Angeles 2028 Olympic and Paralympic Committee. At the end of last year, I got to sit down with her, as well as Kareen Taylor, Community Coordinator for the LA28 Organising Committee, and Lucas Savodio, Communications Manager for the LA28 Bid Committee. We talked about how the three are bringing their passion for a better world into the mega event that is the Olympic Games. My name is Anastasia Rachinskaya, and this is Lantern, a podcast about young people trying to change the world and trying to understand what that actually means. The Olympic Games, one of the biggest, oldest and only events that truly brings the world together, encapsulates people in patriotism and makes us put aside political affairs in the name of sport. However, in recent times, my opinion of this mega event has shifted to be somewhat negative. From the corruption of the International Olympic Committee to the repeating story of hosting cities running massive debts, I've started to wonder whether the Games are still, I suppose, worth it in today's political and social environment. Our guests today have made me reconsider my pessimism. Their passion for the environment, the community and their city is driving a huge change in this huge event. Project Lantern is about helping you discover how to use your passion to change the world for the better. However, not all of us dream of starting up a social enterprise or working with a charity. Listening to Christina's, Corrine's and Lucas's stories has certainly made me open my eyes to the different ways that I can make an impact through a unique channel. And I hope it will do the same for you. My name is Christina Lucas and I am a project manager on the sustainability and legacy team for the Los Angeles 2028 organizing committee. I actually started in this position with no professional experience in sustainability, but I've always been really passionate about the topic. And when I learned about the opportunities to advance sustainability through the games here in Los Angeles, I could not pass up the chance to join the team. Hi, I'm Lucas Cervodi. I'm the communications manager at LA 2028. Uh, I work for LA 2028 because I, I love Los Angeles. I love sport and I think the Olympics would be a really good thing for or will be a very good thing for the city. Hey there, my name is Corrine Taylor. I'm the community coordinator for LA 2028. And I work with LA 2028 because I'm an LA native and I actually volunteered at the LA 84 Foundation in high school and found my passion for the Olympic movement. And I just believe it's a great opportunity to bring the world together and celebrate these athletes. Great, thank you so much for that, guys. Um, it's really great to have you on the show. Um, so just to sort of like set the scene a little bit, could you please tell us a little bit about the bidding process and how Los Angeles actually secured themselves as host for the 2028 Olympics? Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, so this bid process actually started in the domestic phase back in 2014 when the U.S. Olympic Committee would choose which U.S. city will represent our country um, for the Olympic and Paralympic Games. So in the fall of 2015, the Los Angeles was chosen, and we um, went on this two-year endeavor to prove to the International Olympic Committee why we're the best city in the world and why we deserve to host the Games. So it started off with five other cities um, bidding for the games. That was Rome, Hamburg, Budapest, Paris, and L.A. And then over the time, certain cities dropped out for different reasons. And at the end, uh, at the start of this year, actually, we were left with just Paris and Los Angeles. And we just went through um, 
many different presentations. We had to submit bid books and just to give all the details about our city to the International Olympic Committee so they can make their final decision. And ultimately, they felt like both cities were amazing. They didn't want to create any losers. So they decided to do a dual award and give Paris 2024 and LA 2028. And we think that that's great because we have more time to just have this lasting impact on our city and have this um, legacy, hopefully, after the 2020 Games. Um, so you mentioned legacy. Can you please describe how the LA 2028 Olympics will be different to past events and how they'll be different to past uh, to the past times that LA has hosted the Olympics as well? Absolutely. So I'll take that one. So I actually, I'm excited to answer this question because I think this is directly related to why I joined the team and why I feel strongly that Los Angeles has the opportunity to be the most sustainable games in history. Um, and it's our kind of key there are several key differentiators associated with that. Um, first, environmentally. Um, we are committed to maximizing use of existing infrastructure. Um, we are not building a single new permanent venue for these games. Um, as you might be fam familiar, construction uh, is a huge component of a game's carbon footprint. Um, and, and we are committed to maximizing use of this amazing sports infrastructure that already exists here in Los Angeles and don't need to focus our efforts on building these new permanent structures. Second, and I think the area that I get most excited about is our commitment to social sustainability. We made the decision to host the games in four distinct sports parks. Traditionally, the games are hosted in a single sort sports park. And while we will have kind of the heartbeat of the games, if you will, in downtown Los Angeles, we have committed to hosting the games in four distinct sports parks in order to maximize the ability, our ability to get as many Angelinos and the, as many people across the region involved as possible. And we're also committed to not displacing a single home or business as a result of the games. And then third, and I think this is a very, very important point, is from an economic sustainability perspective, the games will be hosted um, by 100% is 100% privately financed, sorry. Um, so we are not diverting a single taxpayer dollar to host these games. That is a, that is a core commitment of, of our team. Um, and we feel it's extremely important that these, that these games are hosted in a way that does, does not distract city resources from, from other important issues. And I'll just add on to that, um, you know, these are all th the things that Christine outlined are really, you know, really captures our sustainable, fiscally responsible approach to hosting the games. And that's going to allow us to leave a really important legacy, both in terms of, you know, how cities approach hosting the games in the future. Um, but also, as uh, Corrine was mentioning earlier, with the, uh, the, the new deal for 2024 and 2028, um, we now have $160 million uh, to put towards uh, youth sports in Los Angeles. Um, that's not an extra $160 million. That's just part of the contribution that the International Olympic Committee gives to host cities. But we are able to use that um, towards youth sports in the uh, years leading up to the Games. So that's really unique because it means that you know, this inclusivity and this, uh, this legacy can, doesn't have to wait until after 2028 to begin. It can actually begin uh, right now, today. Um, we're already working on uh, what that looks like in the community and how we can uh, make sport accessible to as many Angelinos as possible uh, as a result of hosting the games here. So that's a pretty cool thing. 
Um, could you please elaborate a little bit more about this youth sport um, that you're going to organize with the $160 million? Yeah, so no, just uh, the details are still being worked out. But, um, you know, uh, the mayor has said that uh, one of his dreams was to make sport accessible to as many Angelinos as possible. Um, because while uh, the city already has plenty of sports programs, oftentimes there are fees and whatnot associated with uh, uh, kids actually participating in those sports programs. Um, and sometimes not every family can afford those fees. Um, so, you know, one of the things we're going to aim to do is to make sport accessible uh, for all Angelinos that want to play because we believe that sport is a great teacher. Uh, you know, sport uh, is, can be the difference between graduating high school sometimes and, and not graduating high school uh, if you have something to do after school. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just a great teacher, and, and we like to say that it, it changes lives. We think sport can make the, uh, L.A. the healthiest city in America. Um, so these are like big goals, but these are all things that, you know, something like a youth sports program can help us, uh, help us, uh, chase and hopefully achieve. Um, so we're in the work that's in the works, uh, but it's, it's a, it's a big distinction between the LA 28 games and other games is that our legacy isn't going to happen only after the games. It starts right now. And that's really unique. Thank you for that. Um, so even though you said that uh, this, um, the event is going to be privately, oh, no, sorry, not, pri not privately funded, um, there is still so much time and so much effort going into organizing this mega event. And so a question that I sort of had uh, since I've come to LA and since I've seen how much homelessness there is, um, how many other social problems there are. Um, so what is your stance on the idea of like pouring all this time and this money um, into a mega event rather than helping citizens and the problems that are so widespread throughout LA today? Yeah, well, I think uh, Christina really nailed it earlier when she was saying that the key distinction between an LA games and uh, other games in other countries is that we are 100% privately financed. So that means that not a single dollar gets diverted um, towards, you know, no, away from something like schools or tackling homelessness to go and host the games. Um, you know, uh, we always like to say that Angelinos love the Olympics. You know, 83% of Angelinos uh, support hosting the Olympics. But, you know, we love our schools and we love our streets and we love, you know, solving our problems probably more. Um, so we're not trying to divert any resources away from that. In, in fact, uh, all the money that will be spent hosting the Olympics will be entirely privately financed um, and, and there won't be any taxpayer dollars. So, you know, we don't think that the games will be uh, a distraction for any of those issues. Um, it's completely separate um, and uh, we're very proud to be able to do that. Right. So given like it seems that these Olympics are going to make such a statement in terms of sustainability and in terms of legacy. Um, so do you think that we should see the Olympics more as like a worldwide political platform rather than a sporting event? I, I'm not sure I know. I understand what you mean. So do you mean, do you think that uh, it's creating sort of a change in the way that these mega events are organized? It's creating a change in the way that uh, we come together as like different nations? Well, you know, we, we do believe that, and I think, you know, we've said it time and time again throughout the bid process that 
sports and the Olympics in general sort of transcend politics. So, you know, I would, I would hesitate to call the Olympics a uh, political platform of sorts. However, you know, in terms of bringing people together and uniting uh, our, our neighborhoods and uh, uniting our divided nation and even, you know, uh, countries across borders, it certainly has the power to do that. Um, we saw it happen. I mean, I didn't see it personally in 84, and I don't know if either of you two were here in 84 either. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, you, you hear it from the people that were here that they saw the world uh, come together on the streets of LA for the 84 games. Um, it has this power to inspire people and unite them. So in that sense, you know, I think we do view hosting the games and harnessing the power of sport to unite as a real uh, way to bring everybody together um, uh, for in, in a very peaceful and positive way. Yeah, so I'd also add to that, it's been, and I think Luca had touched on this, but this whole bid process and now this process of actually being awarded the games has also been really, um, really cool to see on the ground how it's brought all different kinds of stakeholders within Los Angeles together. So it almost seems like it's been this, this unifying platform at a, at a time that has, that has been difficult in, in our country and just in the world. Um, it's been this real exciting unifying platform for all of these different organizations and community leaders and government agencies that are trying to do good work in our community and are working hard to do that. Um, and so I think we really see this as a powerful platform to bring people together here in, in Los Angeles and hopefully work with the International Olympic Committee and work with future games to show how it can be this unifying platform too here here at home and how you bring all of these different organizations together and partners and people together to create a games that actually makes sense for your city and works for your city. And so we're hoping moving forward that that's certainly a, an example that, that we can help set and, and collaborate with, with the International Olympic Committee on making a model. Uh, yeah. And I, I would just add that I think the proof for that, what Christina just said, is really like it's the proof is in the pudding, as they say. You know, we we got um, the most recent polling shows that 83% of Angelinos support hosting the games. Now, you know, if you ever follow politics in any shape or form, nothing in politics gets 83% public support. The mayor likes to say that sunshine <laughs> only polls at 84%. So it just shows you that it's a it's it's a it's the power of the games to unify is just truly unparalleled. Um, and that's across partisan lines, across countries, across uh, various ideologies, religion. Um, and, and you know, I think uh, we, we've seen it happen in the city and we, we expect it to continue to happen. Um, well, speaking of like unifying people, there are already like volunteering um, efforts in place and you're already engaging um, Angelinos today. So can I just ask like, what is it are they, that they're actually doing? And are you afraid that like the enthusiasm will wear out by the time that the Olympics actually come around? Yeah. So one of the great initiatives that we actually launched in the bid phase was our volunteer service program. And really, we just recognize just from our community engagement that so many Angelinos were excited for the games. Like Luca just mentioned, our 83 public support, which is um, amazing. So we're like, OK, how do we use all this excitement for good. So we thought that by launching this volunteer program, it would kind of just galvanize people to get out in their communities, do good. And also, just like we mentioned before, just using this platform, we were able to highlight all the existing organizations and all the people who are already doing good in their community. 
So with this um, volunteer program, we actually just work with local nonprofits such as Heal the Bay, the Food Bank, and we organize volunteer events and we send a LA 2018. And one of the great things about this is that we really try to make it feel engaging. We, you are part of the game. So this is your community. You're the Angelinos. And it's really, especially in the bid phase, it really did, you know, help sell the city of Los Angeles. Because look at all these amazing people. And I believe at that time we already had over 12,000 people sign up. So I look at all these amazing people who signed up for this program, who want to do good 10 years in advance, which is amazing that anyone's even thinking that far ahead. So I think it really just shows that our city is full of great people. They want to get involved. And I'm just glad that we have this, you know, platform that we're going to be, as we just spoke about a unifier, just to bring all these organizations together and all these great people together as well. Um, so also, Crane, like based on your experience, do you think that people volunteer because they actually want to feel a sense of community or just because they want to say like, oh, I was part of the LA 2020 Olympics, which is known as like volunteering for the resume or just to like look good? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination, you know, to be realistic, but I for sure think that the sense of community is what I feel. Um, me and our, you know, our very small community relations team, we have one other person on our team, when we're at these volunteer events or even at just our community events and just having an information booth, it's just amazing how many people really come up to you and really want to be a part and you see the enthusiasm and they, you know, and you see the same people over and over again. It's not like they just, there's plenty of times and someone just shows up and then you never see them again. They actually want to stay engaged and they want to build a relationship leading up to the games. So I think that that's um, for sure, you know, been an amazing factor. And then also, I mean, just personally, I think volunteer work is great for resume building. I think that, you know, that you never know who you're going to meet at these volunteer events, not our events, but any kind of um, engagement opportunities throughout the city. And that it's a great way to really get those necessary skills. And I, just from my experience, I mean, I got into the Olympic movement from volunteering at the LA84 Foundation. I wouldn't have even known about this, you know, possible opportunity if it wasn't for me, you know, stepping, putting my foot out and volunteering. So I like to encourage other people to do the same. And I'm just glad that we can use our platform to promote those opportunities. Yeah. So I was just also going to add, because I've been so fortunate enough to support Kareen and her team at a number of these volunteer events, what's also been so cool about participating in these and meeting all of these different kinds of people from all different parts of LA, from different walks of life who are excited about the games, it's not necess- it's not always necessarily their excitement about like sport specifically. So it's this sense, I mean, sure, there are, I'd say, you know, of people are expressing some enthusiasm about sport and exciting competition, among other... We haven't pulled on that, though. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yes, we have not pulled on that. Um, But my point is that it's that to the point that Corrine said about our, our about bringing all of these different volunteers together is that it does give them a sense of community, even if they aren't necessarily passionate about a sport specifically. Um, and it's, you know, and this falls on, under the sustainability and legacy portfolio, but there's also a huge, for example, cultural program that's associated with the games and requires tons of volunteers to get engaged in and different organizations. So maybe you're not necessarily passionate specifically about track and field, which I think is criminal in the Olympic world to not be passionate about track and field, but maybe you're passionate about some kind, you know, performing a performance arts or you're passionate about drawing some huge, cool mural in a part of LA and you want to get involved in that way. Um, but you're not necessarily doing it through competitive sport. And so I see there are these huge opportunities to get all different kinds of people with all different kinds of interests involved in feeling the sense of community with all different kinds of people 
not necessarily just specific to sport. So from that perspective, it's really cool and exciting. Yeah, and, and you know, volunteerism is just really at the heart of what the Olympic Games are and Paralympic Games are all about. Like, um, the games simply do not happen without volunteers. And actually, L.A. started that tradition with the L.A. 84 Games. 30,000 people volunteered to make those games happen. Um, and since then, the, the whole volunteering... Um, institution has really taken off in the games uh, and you know we're expecting anywhere between 50 and 70,000 volunteers to, to help us out with LA 2028 so the fact that we already have that enthusiasm and we've, a, we've been able to attract 15,000 people just through the bidding process when we don't even have any Olympic tasks for them to do yet um, is just a really really great testament to you know what the games mean to so many people um, and I just think, you know, what what Christina was outlining earlier is that people don't just volunteer for the games because they love sports. They also volunteer for the games because they love their city. And, and you know, what you see when you go to a games is that these volunteers become uh, stewards and ambassadors, not just of the movement, but also of the city. You know, I remember I, I, I was fortunate enough to go to the Rio games, and I remember uh, coming back from a track and field event um, in Rio and being on the metro, and then all of a sudden there was a little group of volunteers, uh, Rio 2016 volunteers on the metro, and they started leading uh, songs on the metro uh, in recognition of everybody's countries. Um, so, you know, they led a, led a chant for the Italians, they led a chant for uh, the Nigerians and everyone, and everybody was supporting each other. And that was led by uh, the incredibly friendly Rio volunteers just being excellent stewards and ambassadors of their city in that particular moment. Um, so, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's so much bigger than sport, um, and, uh, and that's why it's so powerful. All right. Well, continuing with this topic of volunteering, um, Corinne, you've had a lot of experience volunteering throughout uh, the time you were young. So why did you actually choose to work for the Olympics? And do you believe that this position actually satisfies your desire to create social impact? Yeah, for sure. So my decision to work for the Olympics is very cliche. And it's basically because I, at a young age, just recognized that the Olympic movement and Olympic Games truly is our biggest example of world peace. It's countries putting aside their differences, coming together for about a two to three week period just to celebrate um, the athletes and the art of competition. And I just thought whatever I can do in my career to keep that going, I would like to do. So that's truly what sparked my passion to work in the Olympic movement. And I think that I see the social impact every day. And that's why I feel so fortunate to work in the community relations department, because I actually get to go out of the office and I get to be in the community and give these presentations and interact with people and receive feedback. And people, they love to get feedback. They love to know that their words are, and their um, opinions are being heard and actually taken into consideration in our games plan. So I think that's also just creating that feeling of being involved, that kind of family feeling. And hopefully, you know, we continue to keep those relationships and just keep growing and building and leading up to the games. I think that's really just a great opportunity that we kind of have this, this timeline, this like shining light, you know, if you don't just tunnel vision down the road. And I think it's just great that we can continue this great work and have people stay involved. All right, thank you. And what about you, Christina? The same as well. Like, why, why did you get involved with what you do? And how do you feel that really, like, satisfies your need to make a difference, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I touched on this very, very briefly at the start. But I've always cared about our planet. I've always been an outdoorsy person. I, that has always been something that stewardship of Mother Earth has always been something that is extremely important to me. When 
I was graduating from uh, college, I wasn't quite sure how to connect that to my work or what I was trying to do. I think my, I don't know about you all, but my only like job in getting out of school was, okay, sign the paperwork, get a job and, and make it happen. And I don't think I had a lot of direction on how I could connect my passion with what I was doing in the workplace. Um, I actually spent a number of years at this company that I had taken a job with right out of school um, and had some of the greatest mentors, female mentors in particular, more rare in the tech industry, um, and had supported some really awesome clients and felt like I had developed some really great skills and had made some of the best friends that I have ever had in my life. But at the end of the day, I didn't feel that it was connected, the work that I was doing and spending, you know, eight, anywhere from eight to 16 hours a day on wasn't something that was really connected to my passion. Um, so I did what probably any 20 something year old would do in the middle of a 20 something crisis and packed a backpack and traveled through Peru, um, and met who is now the executive director of sustainability and legacy for our team and was actually a little skeptical at first about, I, I had no idea the Olympics were coming back to Los Angeles. I, I was ignorant on the details of our plan other than at a superficial level, wondering how the heck sustainability can be connected to an Olympic and Paralympic games. And when I started delving into the, the details of our plan and hearing from her, all of these opportunities that, that exist um, to change the way that these games are fundamentally delivered and that they're delivered in this radically inclusive way and this way that is environmentally responsible and by environmentally responsible, maximizing use of what the city already has to offer. And we're not building all of these new cool structures. Um, I, I literally returned home and felt like I had to find a way to get involved in whatever capacity that was. I didn't know if it was going to be just volunteering. I didn't know if that there would be a job opportunity. Um, but sure enough, a month later, I quit my job and joined the team. Um, and, and it's been an amazing wild ride ever since, but it was just super important to me to feel inspired in some way. And I don't even think I knew exactly what that was outside of maybe doing something that was related to the environment. Um, I had no idea what that looked like. And so kind of took a leap of faith and listened to my heart. And after this conversation with this woman in Peru felt so inspired and felt like I had to join, um, so I've probably gone over my way a lot of time, but that was that was what drew me. Wow, thank you, um, Luca. Yeah, I you know um, I also had a bit of a different path. I um, I'm not from the United States. I I actually grew up in Europe, um, and I came to uh, Los Angeles for for college. I came to study here, uh, downtown Los Angeles at the University of Southern California and, uh, fight on, uh, if that means anything <laughs> to anybody. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I really just fell in love with the city. I fell in love with obviously the weather, uh, what's not to love, uh, having gr growing up in Switzerland, you, you get a, get a real appreciation for sunshine in December. 
Um, I, I fell in love with the city's many neighborhoods. It's all of its diversity, all of its cuisine, all of the things that it has to offer. You know, there's really something for everybody here in Los Angeles. Um, whether you're someone who likes hikes in the mountains or the beach, if you're athletic, if you're artistic, there's really something for everybody. And um, that really, that really spoke to me. Um, and so, I found myself after college gravitating towards opportunities that. Um, we're really a way of, of working with the city, on the city, for the city. Just like, you know, trying to uh, take the things that I really love about Los Angeles and make them even better um, so that it's a better place for, for everybody to live in. Um, and, you know, I, that looked like working on a lot of local political issues in the immediate, uh, right after college. Um, and then I started to catch wind of this huge opportunity that was coming around the corner for Los Angeles, and that was the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Um, you know, initially, I you know, I had a lot of questions that you asked um, in the start regarding, you know, the, there's so much happening here in Los Angeles, so many issues we're working on. Um, why uh, would I go and work on the games when there are all these other issues to work on? Um, but I quickly came to realize that Los Angeles is really unique when it comes to the games. It's, it's our... The games are a really interesting um, history of our city. You know, we've hosted it twice before. We hosted them in 32 and in 84. And in 1932, I came to learn that it was really Los Angeles's introduction to the world um, as a major city. Uh, people didn't really know anything about Los Angeles back then. They just thought of Los Angeles as like, you know, Hollywood and, and, and sunshine, and that's it. Um, uh, we didn't even have palm trees back then. Palm trees were actually brought to Los Angeles as part of a beautification project for the 1932 Olympic Games. Um, so just to show you what a monumental thing they were for our history, um, that's one example. Um, 84, similarly, was, was a really uh, another huge moment for Los Angeles in which, you know, 32 had introduced us to the world as a major American city, but the 84 games really served to introduce Los Angeles as a major global city and, and really seeing Los Angeles step in at a time uh, to host the games when a lot of cities didn't want to host the games in 1984. Um, it was really a way to put Los Angeles on the map. So when I learned all these things and how important the games were to Los Angeles' history and when I found out what an opportunity they could be given the fact that we have pretty much everything it takes to host the Olympic Games, um, I jumped at the opportunity because I thought I want to I want to have the biggest impact possible for as many Angelinos as possible. I can't think of a better way to do it. So that's uh, that's how I ended up here. Right. Thank you. Well, Luca, you mentioned um, sort of the beautification process. Um, and Christina, you always mentioned how um, the games are meant to be really environmentally and economically sustainable. Do I feel like there's like a battle between the two that some people want you to like go out with a big bang in 2028? but you sort of aim to make it more sustainable. And sometimes, do you ever feel like you have to like compromise the glamour to reach your goals of sustainability? So it's a, it's a really good question. It's actually something that we've thought, a quite, thought quite a bit about with um, a number of our uh, partners that work for big environmental organizations that, um, that you might be familiar with. It's interesting because the word beautification, I think, can come with some negative connotations of just coming into a particular space, you know, slapping some pretty trees, some pretty flowers in and calling it a day. 
we obviously want to use this amazing opportunity of the games coming here as an opportunity to perhaps plant a million trees. I don't know. We're not, you know, no, no, no commitments yet, but just. That's not, that's not a plan we have. That is not a plan (laughs) we have, but I'm just saying using, using the platform as this really cool opportunity to, to yes, make this city, um, make the city feel more like less like a concrete jungle. I'll put it, I'll put it that way, which is a connotation that a lot of people feel towards, towards Los Angeles. But there is a very particular way that if we did do that, you'd want to do that. And you'd want to make sure it's involving all different parts of the community and different community leaders and different community organizations that are really embedded in the areas that perhaps we would plan to implement those kinds of projects. So it's not just something that we'd be going in to do over a weekend in silo and not as part, not integrated with the community, but it'd be something or some plan that we would come up with with that local community and with community leaders that are deeply integrated there. So I don't know, I might have wandered a little bit from your exact exact question, but I just say all this to say that that whatever we do do in this city and in this region, it is extremely important to us that it is in collaboration with the people and the community leaders that live in those that live in those parts of the community that that we that we pay particular focus to with a certain project. Yeah, and that that fits perfectly with our ethos of you know sustainability and fiscal responsibility, and I think that we you know. Just because we're not building anything doesn't mean that they're not that our games aren't going to be glamorous, right? Like, um, there's there's not a trade-off between building things, building new things, and and basically just making the most outstanding, spectacular games of all time. I mean, if you think about it, LA already has an incredible array of venues, and we host the most glamorous events every year, year in, year out. You know, we host the Grammys every year. We host the Oscars every year. We're hosting the Super Bowl in 2021. We're, you know, we're, we host the game, the Rose Bowl every year. We know how to put on world-class events, make things glamorous, make things spectacular. And we've shown time and time again that that doesn't necessarily need to mean you, you're building things um, and, and leaving a, a massive uh, carbon footprint or, you know, uh, basically shaking up entire communities to do so. I think we can do both. Um, and it helps to be in the center of entertainment and, uh, and uh, in such a, you know, a place where that's really our bread and butter. So do other people like support and do they believe that you really can create the best, most fantastic games of all time while also being sustainable? Or have you received some sort of like doubt about that? No, again, you know, we the again, we just have the uh, the track record. We have the experience. We do it. We do it all the time. Uh, we we host these kinds of events all the time. Um, so there's no doubt there that we can deliver on what we say. Um, you know. Also, keep in mind that we have that that we have an unprecedented amount of time to actually sit down and think about how we're going to host spectacular games. Um, you know. In 11 years, who knows what kind of technology will exist and how will it be able to use that technology to sustainably deliver spectacular games. So if you think about it, 10 years ago, we didn't have iPhones. I mean, you know, imagine 
uh, an Olympic and Paralympic Games without an iPhone these days. It's unimaginable. You know, everybody taking pictures. You can watch highlights on Snapchat. You can do incredible things. But um, similarly, we can't even imagine the types of things we'll be able to uh, utilize to create the best show on earth, basically, in 2028. Um, and there's no reason to think that we can't do it sustainably because we do it all the time. I'd also just say, uh, as a follow-up on Luca's point, is that over the course of the bid, the amount, the amount of organizations, government agencies, academic institutions, community leaders that we engaged through that whole process, environmental organizations, big environmental organizations that have powerful clout in Los Angeles, I mean, they were all a part of that planning process. And that was crucial to ensure that whatever plan that we developed was airtight and and we were making commitments that we all felt collectively as a community that we could deliver on um, and we were excited about. So, you know, it wasn't just 25 people sitting in a room writing this plan. I mean, this was the creation of years of, of community meetings and in-person meetings and on the phone meetings and presentations and workshops with all of these different stakeholders across the city, across the region, and even stakeholders across the, the country and, and the world to make this plan what it is. Um, so I have, I have no doubt that we can, we can deliver on that commitment. Yeah, and speaking of our partners and stakeholders, some of our partners are venues that already do this, right? Like the LA Coliseum, um, what I think Christina knows this better than I do, but it's it's their they had what was their initiative again to do with their uh, zero, zero waste yeah, yeah. zero exactly so a zero you know zero waste initiative where they are now consistently hitting ninety percent plus waste diversion at their games and they were the first NFL studi- stadium to accomplish this so. There are, you know, there are our, ven- our venue partners are already doing some of this amazing work that we'll be able to leverage and collaborate with them to execute that on an even more massive scale across 29 days and in over 30 competition and non-competition venues. Yeah, and the Coliseum is able to achieve that status while hosting USC football games, LA Rams football games, uh, huge soccer games, concerts all at the same time, and delivering an, a, a wonderful fan experience at all times. So, you know, we're excited to do the same thing. So do you believe that this is like the way of the future for sporting events and for mega events to be like environmentally and socially friendly in a way? Do you think that's becoming like a bigger focus? I think it's becoming a bigger focus because it, it, and this is great news for us sustainability people, but just all of us in general, it is, it's, it's out of necessity that this is becoming a bigger focus. Um, it's something that I think we're, we're all realizing is critically important for the future of our city, our country, um, the world. And I think what's also, this has been a really exciting time to be part of this effort because it's actually becoming a viable business strategy in in the private sector. I mean, you're seeing more and more corporations who are orienting this way, and you're seeing consumers who see the money they're spending as a way to show what they value and what their beliefs are. And so they're demanding basically 
products and services that are delivered more sustainably, sourced more responsibly, are um, perhaps you know these companies have more inclusive, uh, more inclusive policies. And it's also a retention strategy for companies. I mean, if you as an individual feel more excited and feel like the work you are doing is more purposeful and your company is committed to doing good things, you're more likely to stay. In fact, on my way over here, I heard a stat that 21% of people are willing. This is a stat I read in an elevator on the uh, on the Captivate on uh, on the screen in an elevator, but 21% of people are willing to take a pay cut to work in a position that they feel is more purposeful and aligned with their values. So this is a really exciting time to be working with with private partners and corporations who are starting to orient that way. And I think it's absolutely out of necessity. And again, it's becoming this viable business strategy, especially exciting for us because we are 100% privately funded. And so we are, you know, we are reliant on, on corporate sponsorship. And I think the more that we can give corporate sponsors something really exciting to align with and support, the more interesting our brand becomes to them and the more support we're going to get. So it becomes this cycle of, you know, we're, we're doing great things. They're willing to support us more that we're, they're able to associate their brand with something good. And then they're going to want to continue supporting that. So, um, I think it's also really just exciting from, you know, our standpoint of being able to drive interest from, from sponsors who want to increasingly support projects that, that, make their brand more valuable and show that they're doing good work to their consumers and their employees. Um, so moving on from the environment back to sort of volunteering. Um, Karine, how do you aim to sort of keep volunteers engaged and what are your plans for activities for the next 10 years? Yeah, so that's what we're kind of in the process of figuring out now. So since we um, were just awarded the games, we are so fortunate that we have this time that we can actually take the time to think through and how do we make this more engaging. Then, of course, we have to also, how do we make that transition to games time? And these volunteers that have been doing all this great work also are going to be supporting these games. So I think that that's something that we are going to make sure that we keep the program going, that we make sure that the volunteers are engaged and really receiving feedback from them. Like I plan, we have a volunteer event this weekend and I plan on asking my volunteers like, so like how, like, is this a good experience for you? Do you like this? Or you feel like you're actually making a difference? And I feel like that will actually just help us decide what volunteer opportunities we continue to promote and also just continue to have those LA 2028 team volunteers. And I just also, as I mentioned before, just keeps creating that family environment and really builds those relationships leading up to the games. So do you think that's something that really encourages volunteers to keep coming back, this sort of family environment? Yeah, no, for sure. I've I've heard it <laughs> from from their mouths. That they just they love the experience. They love meeting other volunteers that really have similar interests in them. They all are interested in the Olympic and Paralympic Games, or they all are interested in making a difference in their city. So I feel like it's just a great opportunity for them to network, for them to meet other people, and then also, I mean, sometimes like we bring athletes to our volunteer events, and the athletes get involved. We bring our fellow team members, and it's just great that you know we're we're real people. We're Angelinos, or we're from you know other places but we all love Los Angeles. Everyone, I think, has that in common. So I think that the volunteers really see that and they feel that they're actually doing something and that they're involved in this process of playing the games. 
All right. So just to sort of wrap up, do you guys have any tips for like young people who want to make a difference, who want to get into like environmentalism or volunteering um, or anything, but they don't really want to go and work for a charity, which is like essentially what you guys are doing. Like you're making great social impact, but you're not working for like a social enterprise or a charity or anything. So how do you find opportunities like this? So how do you get into it? Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of the, the best way to answer. I mean, one thing has really just been from making those connections. I mean, there's the people that we meet have, it's not like this is our first time volunteering or first time getting involved. They've been doing this for years and they really know all the different opportunities that are out there. And then I think that once again, it's a great opportunity that we have, you know, that we have this extra time that we can really learn more about. I'm like, I'm from Los Angeles. I grew up just right down the street, but there's so much that I've learned in the past few months about my own city, just from the people that I've met. So I think that's really what's been helping us when we talk about finding opportunities and keeping people engaged. And yeah, that's something that we can really take advantage of moving forward. So probably a couple of things I'd want to leave leave people with, because it was something that became very instrumental to me as I was scared to make the plunge from working for this big company and then going and working for, we are a nonprofit, going and working for a nonprofit and work, you know, participating in work that was pretty much driven by my passion and wasn't necessarily this, okay, I got to go work here for four years and then I'm going to go to business school and then I'm going to graduate from business school and then I'm going to go work in Silicon Valley and go work for a big tech company. And I think I really, you know, I was pretty, pretty focused on, on that path, but it wasn't a path that was super connected to my heart. I think it was a very logical, it seemed a very logical move, but it wasn't something that I was really passionate, really passionate about. So with that said, I would say I learned so, so much in my years out of college working for this particular company. And though it wasn't necessarily what was ins- inspiring me on a, on a day-to-day, um, I also made amazing relationships, um, have amazing mentors as a result of it, and, and learned a ton of skills that have served me well in this role. So I'd say two things. Trust your process. And if you're not involved in something right now that you're completely passionate about, it's never too late. So trust the process and trust the things that you are learning and the skills you are building right now. And then, and I made this point, it's, it's never too late to pivot and listen to your heart and take kind of a, a leap of faith and jump on an opportunity that really speaks to you, even if it is a pay cut, or maybe you're just going, you know, maybe you're deciding you're not going to work for a couple months and you're just going to go volunteer to explore something, or maybe it's dedicating some weekend time to a passion of, of yours. But I'd, I'd also say that for people that are struggling with this concept of, okay, in order to be work for something that is purposeful, you have to become, you know, you have to be standing on picket lines and holding up a sign and, not, you know, or, you know, a tree hugger or something, you know, and I think those are, those are things people get tripped up on that increasingly it is becoming so important. And I mentioned this earlier for the, the corporate world to be paying attention to sustainability and to be integrating this in every part of, of their business strategy. So there are really powerful ways that us as young professionals can help drive that at the companies that we're, that we're, working in. It's not, you don't need to go work for a a charity. There are tons and tons of businesses out there that are going to require, you know, the gumption that, that we all have and the skills that we have to offer and the passion we have to offer to make their business strategies 
more sustainable and better, better for people. Um, and so I think that's also really exciting. I think you guys covered it. Sorry, just one more thing I wanted um, to add. I think this actually answers one of your questions from earlier, but when talking about engagement of communities and how do you make a difference, um, we hosted the Olympic Games in 32 and in 84, but this is the first time we're going to be hosting the Paralympic Games. And I think that's a great opportunity that we have to really help promote the Paralympic Games and using all the amazing resources in Los Angeles to really shine a light on these other amazing athletes that, um, that just do... Great work, and um, I just think that also just connecting with the disability community here in Los Angeles and shining light on there, and even with our volunteer opportunities, making sure that um, we're touching that community as well. So I just think that, once again, in all the great work that we're doing, there's various pockets and different communities in LA, and the and that's just one you know great way that we can use our platform to really highlight the Paralympians and highlight the adapted sports opportunities already here, and then for the youth that you know maybe think they can't play sports because of their impairments, just making sure that they're uh, down, you didn't even know, but maybe down the street there was this great organization that has coaches that know how to work with um, adaptive athletes. So I think that our platform can really shine a light on that and make a difference in those communities as well. Thank you. Um, is there anything else that you guys would like to add or is that it? No. I've... That's all. Thank you very, very much for coming onto the show as well. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to our episode of Lantern. That again was Corrine Taylor, Christina Lucas, and Lucas Avodio. And you can find more information on the LA 2028 Olympic and Paralympic Games in the show notes. If you did enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes as it really does help us grow and share these amazing conversations with more and more people across the globe. If you just can't wait for more, our past episodes are available across all our platforms on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up to date with the latest content on our latest content on Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter, which are all under Project Landon underscore. That's all one word, Project Lantern underscore. And of course, also on our website, projectlantern.com.au. If you have any feedback for us or you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at any time in our social media or via email at hello at projectlantern.com.au. Again, we're really excited to have you on this journey in creating a global launchpad for youth-led social impact.